Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. If you and your team want to cut down on busy work and get more choice and control over accounts payable, you need Bill. Bill Accounts Payable is your secret weapon for saving time on AP. And with a special offer at bill.com slash podcast, you'll save money too. With Bill, streamline your entire AP process, including bill creation, approvals, and payments. You can pay with ACH, credit card, check, and international wire transfer. Plus, you can easily integrate with most accounting software. No wonder hundreds of thousands of businesses are already using Bill to manage their AP. Schedule a free demo now to see how Bill can automate your financial operations. And right now, get 15% off when you subscribe to Bill Accounts Payable. There's never been a better time to sign up. This special offer is available for a limited time only at bill.com slash podcast. Terms apply. See bill.com slash podcast for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for August 27th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news and read some responses in the mailbag. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. Uh, Usually on Monday, we do the water cooler but uh, Brad is out sick today. Jacob is on uh, vacation because it is, is his birthday. I would uh, wish him happy birthday, but I don't think he's listening to this. So <laughs> I, I, I've done done so personally. Um, but, yeah, expect a water cooler segment tomorrow on the show. Um, but, yeah, let's get into the mailbag before we get into the news. Uh, last week on the show, you guys both weren't on, but we were t- talking about the worst movies we have seen this year so far. And uh, since you guys weren't on, um, what what are the worst movies you have seen this year? Ben, let's start with you. Um, I, I was listening to that episode where you guys were talking about that. And sort of like Brad, I feel like I've done a pretty decent job of avoiding a lot of just out-and-out out terrible movies. Uh, but the ones that I've seen that sort of spring to mind are movies that are, are pretty bad, but more just sort of like in the eye-rolling category, like, ah, give me a break with these freaking movies. Uh, Pacific Rim Uprising is one of those. Rampage is another one, and uh, I would say The Cloverfield Paradox is another one of those as well. Um, but there's one movie that I saw at Sundance that I really did not like at all, 
and it's called The Catcher Was a Spy. I think it's a Netflix original now, or Netflix bought it, and uh, I, I believe it's on Netflix right now. I would not recommend watching it. It sounds really like a kind of a cool concept. It's uh, Paul Rudd plays a former baseball player who becomes a spy during World War II, and it's based on a true story. Uh, and the true story sounds pretty incredible, but the movie is just so dull and um I cannot believe, you know, thinking back on it, I cannot believe how they bungled such a cool concept and, and just turned it into something that is so lifeless on screen. See, I, I'm glad that you saw something at Sundance that was not uh, not good, because I feel like every year I see at least one, if not a couple movies that are that are bad. And Brad was just like, no, everything I saw at Sundance was good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess he had a really good. Year. I mean, I had a great year at Sundance yeah. as well, but I, I think this one was the uh, the low uh, <laughs> the low thing on the totem pole for sure. Yeah, uh, Chris, uh, what have you? What is the worst movies you've seen this year? Uh, one I, I actually already talked about on this uh, the podcast for, and it's uh, Puppet Master: The Littlest Reich, which is just <laughs> really bad. And uh, I won't go into it too much because, like I said, I already talked about it, but. I'll just preface by saying I love trash. I love trashy horror movies. I love stupid horror movies. But even for me, this was just pushing it. It was just it's an inept, really poorly made film. And the fact that anyone is saying like I've seen people saying it's like a good movie. And no, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, taste is subjective. But no, this is nowhere close to being a, a good movie. Um what else? Uh, the the Eli Roth Death Wish with Bruce Willis was just atrocious, just a terrible movie. And th there's no reason that for the movie to even exist here in this year, 2018. And the, <laughs> the other is uh, I, I've already gotten some guff for this on SlashFilm.com, but I stand firm. And it is uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which uh, the more I think about, the more angry i get at that movie for just existing <laughs> at all so th those are the, the top ones for me yeah ben I'm, I'm surprised that one didn't make your list because i remember your tweets about it like you went off on a rant yeah i was not a fan of that one i honestly uh just didn't have enough time to flip through my book of <laughs> notes before we started recording this episode if i would have gotten to that point that movie definitely would have been on the list as well i yeah. mean I, I liked the the last i don't know 20 minutes of it because it just sort of embraced its insanity and it became the movie that i wanted it to be the whole time but good god the first whatever uh, three quarters of that movie is just uh yeah it's it's kind of painful Last week when I brought this up, I asked listeners to uh, send in any suggestions that we have, may have missed, and we got a bunch of uh, responses. I will leave them in the show notes, but I'll, I'll read through a couple of them really quickly. Brian from Kansas really hated Slenderman, um, and uh, he uh, Matt from Connecticut uh, saw Superfly with his movie pass, and uh, he calls it a steaming pile amateurish terribly terribly written and acted and the most ridiculous adolescent fantasy sex scene he's ever seen pure garbage uh chase d listed off a bunch of movies but uh he's seen a lot of movies this year he's seen 78 unique movies which i think beats me um and uh the worst movie he's seen this year he gave a two out of ten and that was for gaudy the uh movie pass produced film um and uh will m uh, says his last weekend he saw Puppet Master, the last right, uh, the, the same movie that Chris uh, just referenced, and it was absolutely brutal. Um, 
and uh, he's a fan of the director, so he was very dis- disappointed. Uh, Sean from Missouri uh, wrote in that he, he the worst movie he had seen this year is Maze Runner 3, The Death Cure, and The Meg. Um, and uh, I don't know. He, he had a lot to say about those. You, you can read all the comments in the show notes. I'm not going to read the emails on the air. But uh, th- those were a, a couple movies that we did not mention. Uh, have either of you seen any of the movies that were just listed? Uh, no, I have not caught up with Maze Runner 3 yet. I have all three of those movies in a box set for some reason, even though I have, have <laughs> not seen any of them. But Jacob, uh, Jacob Hall, the managing editor of Slash Film, talks very highly of the Maze Runner movies and director Wes Ball specifically. So I'm looking forward to diving into those. Uh, who knows when I'll get around to that. But yeah, I'll, I'm interested to see if the third movie is uh, is indeed as bad as people say. You know, I saw the first uh, edition, uh, the, the first movie in that uh, trilogy, and I really liked it so um, i'm curious to see what you say once you finally dive in uh chris you hadn't seen any of these other movies like gaudy uh no other than puppet master i have not seen these i probably won't see a lot of them i i am going to watch gaudy when it comes on blu-ray just because i'm so curious to see <laughs> if that's as bad as i hear it is but like i'm never going to see Superfly. I'm never going to watch Maze Runner three, which is a film I forgot even came out this year. So, uh, yeah. So I haven't. I have not seen these. It is funny with these like movie subscription services. Like I have the AMC A list, and this weekend we were bored, and I was uh, we were thinking about seeing another movie. I'd seen Searching on Friday night. I'll talk about that in the water cooler tomorrow. And I was going down the list of movies in AMC theaters that we could possibly see. And uh, I was I was actually trying I was actually trying to convince Kitra, my girlfriend, to see Mile Twenty Two, even though it has horrible reviews, <laughs> just because it was like the one movie we have not seen that's like in AMC theaters. <laughs> so uh, I, I feel like I don't know I feel like these movie subscription services are are, are sometimes they help you. <laughs> like maybe some people saw like you know a movie like Searching that probably otherwise wouldn't have. But on the other hand, when you're bored, you end up seeing uh, shitty movies that you probably would have stayed away from. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Anyways, uh, let's dive into the news. Let's start off with a story that broke on, uh, I believe, Thursday, if not Friday. Uh, And uh, we we, we had an interview on Friday, uh, so we didn't have a show on Friday. Uh, And that is that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is on hold. In the wake of James Gunn's firing, Chris, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know? Um, yeah, so Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 was was gearing up for pre-production, and there was a crew, and they were getting ready, and they got word to, you know, just basically go home. They, Disney told them they could go out and seek further employment elsewhere because, as of now, Guardians 3 is on hold. And, of course, this comes in the wake of James Gunn's firing over some joke tweets that uh, were from uh, a, a, a long time ago. And they got drug, dredged up by um, uh, some folks on, on the alt-right, I guess you would call them. Yeah. And uh, Disney was not having it. And, you know, since then, there's been a bit of a backlash online with people urging Disney to rehire James Gunn. And there were conflicting reports that maybe Disney was considering that, but Disney, uh, Al- Disney's Alan Horn had a meeting with James Gunn where he basically just stuck to his guns, uh, no pun intended, and said, "I'm, you know, I'm not hiring James Gunn back." And 
after that, you know, we all had assumed, well, I guess they're going to hire a new director, but now we don't know really what's happening at all. Right now it's on hold and it's doubtful the film will, you know, come out. Uh, you know, there was never an official release date announced, but we'd all assumed it would be sometime in 2020. But uh, now that's looking very unlikely. Yeah, on Friday, uh, we had received word from a couple people in production. We were working on the story before, uh, who was it, The Hollywood Reporter, I think, was the first to, to break it. Um, and uh, from what we had heard, the, the people in production were told it's not happening at all this year. So, you know, um, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen next year. And that, to me, signals a huge change in direction because um, – I think we had just assumed that they were going to use James Gunn's script, which I have been told by some people in production is the best of the trilogy thus far. Uh, but it seems like, you know, if they're delaying it this far, they're they're looking they're probably going to look to hire a new director and, and maybe even, you know, start from page one. And uh, that would that would be uh, really sad. Ben, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, I'm I'm so sad about all of this, Peter. I, I think my thoughts are uh, are pretty well stated on this yeah. entire thing, and I just I I am very curious to see now now that my hope has been snatched away from me that they might consider rehiring Gunn, what they're going to do. Because I mean, as we've talked about so many times, Guardians Three was not just Guardians Three; it was the jumping off point for a whole other you know, era of Marvel movies that that sort of um, explored different corners of the universe. So I, I are they going to completely, uh, you know, come up with an entirely new plan? Like you're saying, Peter, it sounds like sort of a change in direction. Are they going to do something else entirely or are they just going to find another avenue to get to that same destination? I don't know. Yeah. And uh, one thing I brought up on Twitter after the fact is uh for during Guardians Galaxy Volume Two, they shot footage for this uh, Guardians Galaxy Mission Breakout attraction that is at Disney California Adventure. Like the the reason they were able to get all the stars of that movie in you know in footage in the, that ride was because they were able to shoot it alongside the film as part of the film shoot. And uh, from what I understand, they were planning on shooting uh, with Guardians Galaxy Volume Three. They were planning on shooting. The footage needed for this big indoor roller coaster. They're building one of the biggest indoor roller coasters in the world for an Epcot for a Guardians of the Galaxy uh, roller coaster ride. And uh, they were uh, planning to film uh, scenes there during the production of Volume 3. And now that Volume 3 is not happening anytime soon, and this roller coaster is, you know, already being built, it's being constructed in Orlando, Florida, as we speak, you know, you can watch videos of, like, it, it, you know, the cranes and stuff building it, as, uh, you know, online. Uh, I, I kind of wonder, you know, how are the, how is Disney going to put that together now that there's no uh, filming going on? And, uh, you know, speaking of the theme parks uh th there was another story that came out uh over the weekend on a podcast and this is that disney is tweaking the millennium falcon ride at star wars galaxy's edge ben you wrote it up for the site what do we know yeah, so Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is the new Star Wars themed theme park that's coming to or, or land, I guess, that's coming to a lot of the Disney parks next year. And uh, one of the uh, attractions that we knew about was a Millennium Falcon ride where basically um, people, guests would go into the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. There would be six people or we just learned actually that there are, there are going to be six people in an individual pod and you're going to be looking out as if you're looking through sort of the main window of the uh the cockpit of the of the falcon and each person has a specific 
job, a specific um, task to to complete uh, in terms of like how you actually fly around in the ship. And uh, yeah, for, all of for, the... for instance, someone's piloting, someone's probably shooting, someone else is right. probably navigating in some way. Yeah. yeah, and and like all of this interactivity is like a big part of the way that Disney is selling the concept of Galaxy's Edge as a park, right? Like the that's we've talked a lot about this in, in previous episodes of the show, so I don't want to go too far into that. But on a recent episode of the Disney Dish podcast, theme park expert Jim Hill, who is a, a really reliable source of Disney park information and, and has been for a long, long time, uh, explained that there are going to be seven pods in operation at any one time. So that's 42 people who are going to be piloting the Millennium Falcon at once. And there is going to be about a three and a half minute ride cycle for this attraction. So Peter, you sort of crunched the numbers on that. And you were saying that uh, that means that the um, attraction can have a maximum of 840 riders per hour, which is about half of Pandora's flight of passage or a quarter of the amount of uh, ride like Pirates of the Caribbean. So that probably means that lines for this thing are going to be really, really long, uh, which I mean, you probably could have guessed it's a Millennium Falcon ride and a new Star Wars park. But the interesting thing about that is the Disney is not in the business of creating experiences for people to complain about or be upset about. They want everybody to be really happy so they'll come back and spend more, you know, untold sums of money to come back and do the entire thing again. So they've encountered a little bit of a problem with the interactivity in this theme park ride. And as Jim Hill said on this podcast, initially they wanted real interaction, um, you know, to the point where if the Millennium Falcon doesn't operate correctly, if, if one of the people in your pod doesn't do their task correctly, the ship might crash and the ride would be over. I think we have found out that that is not actually the case because riders can't technically crash the ship because i mean think about that like if you, if you wait in line for five hours to ride on this thing and then you're in there and within the first 30 seconds some idiot in the back uh in the back row that you don't know that's not a member of your party does something wrong and the whole thing crashes that that's exactly the kind of thing that i'm talking about that disney does not want so i think every ride will be completed but there still is uh, a lot of, in the testing process for this, they've encountered a lot of problems with people um, being very frustrated in, instead of entertained with the interactivity aspects of this ride. So, uh, Peter, I, I'm wondering, you know, as somebody who pays a lot of attention <laughs> to this stuff, is it possible to base a ride experience around this idea of true interactivity while also giving a good experience to all of the writers involved or are those two things not possible to do at the same time? I'm, I'm not sure because, you know, so far, you know, there have been rides like Star Tours, which are completely not interactive in any way. There's randomized sequences, but you have no control. And then there's rides like Mission Space where you're given like some knobs and things to do. It doesn't affect the ride experience in any way. Um, so it's kind of like a fake interactivity. And But th with this, what they're trying to do with this ride is, you know, it, it is like you are playing the most expensive video game in the world. <laughs> you know, a, a uh, moving video game. And uh, I can just imagine being in line for, you know, three hours to ride this ride. Uh, you're put in a cockpit in, in one of these pods with a family of four. And, you know, I'm, I'm there with my girlfriend or a friend. I'm just a group of two. So the two get stuck with the family of four. And that family of four decides to, you know, give Tommy, the five-year-old, you know, the 
the range the be be the pilot of the Millennium Falcon. Right. And uh, I can just imagine, you know, getting stuck in that back seat, you know, doing like one of those ancillary tasks that's not like even shooting or who knows what those other tasks are. Um, And watching Tommy just destroy the Falcon as it (laughs) for three and a half minutes. I don't know. It it, it seems like it would be a frustrating experience. I'm I'm, I'm wondering, I don't know. what, What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, Jim Hill says the worry right now is they've delivered an amazing ride experience for 10% of the guests and the other 90% are going to have whether it's tech issues or they're going to be frustrated with the other people in the cabin who aren't holding up their end. There's some tweaking going on. So it sounds like Disney is trying to find a solution to this problem. I'm not sure what that is. And even, you know, uh, uh, I guess along with all of this stuff. Um, imagine that scenario you're just talking about, Peter, where Tommy just crashes the, the Falcon or, or, you know, basically ruins the mission or whatever. Um, the As we've written about before, what happens on your flight is actually going to have ripple effects throughout your experience at the park, because that's that's part of what Disney is doing is tying all this stuff in together. So if you uh, do a great job or whatever, maybe, um, the rest of your day might go differently than if you crash into another ship, maybe like theoretically the pilot of that ship could come chasing after you, you know, at a a totally different time in a totally different section of the park. Um, you know, that's the level of interactivity that they're, uh, that they're trying to go after here. So you know, it it raises the stakes basically for every time you do something like this that is supposed to have those ripple effects. It makes it more important than just going on a ride because it actually has a lasting impact throughout the entire, you know, the entirety of your trip at, at Disneyland. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be a really interesting challenge for them to overcome uh, this level of frustration that they're that they're seeing in these testing phases right now. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was said at Celebration or if this was just a rumor, but I think it was said that, like, you're trying to smuggle some kind of cargo to somewhere in the Falcon uh obviously and uh and if you make it there in one piece whatever you get some credits that you could actually these uh you know uh credits that you could actually spend in the land in some way so uh, you know if tommy screws that up for me i'm gonna be pissed but (laughs) but i'm also gonna be pissed if i like if my job you know if i have like very little to do and tommy's the one flying the thing i I don't know it's like and it also seems like it seems like in the end, this pro- probably is going to get revamped and revamped and re- revamped to the point where, you know, the jobs are going to be so simple and easy to do, where it's going to be like at one point in time, someone has to, uh, you know, press a button to launch a missile. And that's like that person's job for the entire ride. Uh, and I don't know. I feel like that's not the the interactive experience that they're promising, but we'll have to see. Uh, but let's, uh, this is not a theme park podcast, so we should move on and uh, talk about Netflix. Who, uh, uh, Ben, you are still one of these people who subscribes to their mailing, their in the mail movie subscription service. You're one of, uh, I guess, three million people that still subscribe to this. Uh, Chris, you wrote up a piece on the site about this and and the plans for the future. Tell us about it. Uh, yeah, so Variety has a, uh, an interview um, with, uh, t- uh, what's his name, Ted Serrano's the the chief content uh, officer at Netflix, and he confirmed that about 3 million people still uh, subscribe to Netflix's uh, DVD service, the physical DVDs, which is, it's, it's under the banner DVD.com right now, but it's still a, a Netflix company. 
And, uh, you know, that, that's, that seems to be surprising a lot of people because uh, in this day and age, when people think of Netflix, they think of it as a, as a streaming service, even though when Netflix launched, it was originally all about physical media. It was all about mailing you DVDs uh, that you rented online. And, you know, while 3 million seems like a pretty healthy number and it, it brings in about $53 million to the company as of now, uh, Netflix also doesn't think it's sustainable because uh, subscriptions are dropping off um, substantially over the year. So uh, if this trend continues, Netflix expects to be done with DVDs by 2022. So if you're still renting them, um, be prepared for the future, I guess. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, ben, what, what are you going to be doing to prepare for the, the DVD less, uh, DVD less future? I don't know. I hope we're still around in 2022, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> um, I almost wonder what effect, uh, you know, Netflix, uh, the uh, the de-escalation of this DVD service has had on, like, the U.S. Postal Service. Because I remember at one point there was, like, some kind of statistic out there that was, like, one out of every four thing mailed is a Netflix DVD. Um, you know, that was probably at the peak of the DVD, Netflix's DVD service. Um, now, now that that's going away, uh, uh, yeah. So, uh, so Ben, you're gonna have to find another way. You're gonna, you're gonna have to join us in the the 21st century streaming and buying. Yeah, uh, I think you're. <laughs> I think you're probably right. I'm gonna have to subscribe to those streaming services that I've been holding off for a, a long time. You, you know what? I, I, we should take this opportunity to because a lot of people are surprised that there are three million people still subscribed to this. So Ben, I know you've said this in the past, but but why why are you still subscribed to this physical media, uh, you know, subscription service? Well, I feel like that's one of the places, one of the few places that actually has, I, I mean, you know, it, it's great having the instantaneousness of, of being able to watch something at the click of a button. But I feel like a lot of stuff just still has not been digitized um, to, and, and is not in the libraries of any of these streaming services. And, and you know, something like Filmstruck um, is a is a great place for uh, older films and you know I watch TCM here and there Turner classic movies on on cable all the time but uh, but still there are movies that I just want to seek old classics and stuff that are not in those rotations and I I've found that the Netflix uh, DVD plan is one of the few places left where I can get them easily and I don't have to worry about you know, uh, paying really extra fees. It's all still going to Netflix. It's all, you know, lumped into one sum that I pay every month for the, uh, the streaming service as well as the DVD plan. So it's just, it was just a, uh, an easy way for me to still seek out stuff that, uh, that I hadn't had a chance to see yet. Yeah, and Netflix used to have a lot of uh, content out there, but it seems more and more they're going for their original content, not licensing uh, big Hollywood movies and you know back catalogs anymore. So, um, yeah, I think one of these days you're going to have to either subscribe to you know a variety of different services like Disney streaming service have access to you know their entire uh, back catalog, or uh, yeah, just join a. Some of these old movies aren't available on like to rent on iTunes or anything like that. They might be. I've never really gotten into iTunes as a uh, as a movie watching um, platform, so I, I may have to explore that in 2022 when my entire world comes crashing down around me. Speaking of the Disney streaming service, uh, we have now found out it has an official name, and we have an idea of how much it will cost. Chris, tell us about it. 
Uh, yeah, so according to Bob Iger, uh, the Disney CEO, uh, the the name as of now for Disney's big uh, streaming service is Disney Play, which is fine, I guess, you know, nothing <laughs> that exciting. And it's probably going to cost around uh, $6, which is pretty damn low considering the cost of other streaming services. I mean, you know, uh, the, the, the lowest I think Netflix gets is like $8 and... I think like shutter is like $10. So this is, this is pretty low for, you know, as far as streaming services go, but I guess, you know, Netflix has uh, all the, I mean, Disney has all the money in the world, so they can probably afford this. But I also feel like as is the case with most streaming services, it'll start low. And then (laughs) after a year, they'll probably jack up the price. But as of now, that's what they're, they're thinking. It'll be around $6 to start. That makes me wonder if there's going to be some kind of tiers. Like, will that tier include advertising that you can't skip or something? You know, all the uh, Hulu or uh, I don't know. That that seems a, a very low. Uh, I I do not like the name at all. The name sounds like uh, you know Disney's next uh, video game uh, system. All uh, um, uh, what was that thing with the toy box? Uh, now I'm even blanking on the the name it's of like those figures. Disney Quest. Disney Infinity. Oh, Disney, Disney Infinity. Infinity, yeah. Yeah, wow. Uh, and um, I don't know. I, I really like the name that we, we have suggested on the podcast in the past, uh, the Disney Vault, which I feel like has a legacy in uh, the Disney company. Uh, ben, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, it, at six bucks, is that enough? Is that l- l- low enough to get you to subscribe? Yeah, that, I think I'll do that for six dollars. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with Chris. I think this that's definitely a starting price that's going to increase uh, over time. But uh, for sure, yeah, I, I was expecting something closer to I don't know fifteen dollars, considering they're going to have like original Star Wars shows and maybe some Marvel content, and uh, not to mention you know the access to their entire back catalog. I mean, that sounds like it's going to be a lot of content, not just you know sc- uh, scratching the surface kind of stuff and. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of good stuff that Disney has produced. I mean, I know people like to give them flack because they're like one of the biggest uh, <laughs> like entertainment conglomerates in the world. But, um, you know, looking at the sheer quality of a lot of their stuff, uh, that six bucks seems like a pretty good deal for that. Yeah, we, we still have no idea if uh, the Fox content, uh, the legacy content will end up on that streaming service or not. OK, let's move on and let's talk about Big Trouble in Little China, which has is getting uh, rebooted, remade, sequelized. I don't know. Dwayne Johnson says that it is not uh, a remake. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so John Carpenter's 1986 comedy Big Trouble in Little China uh, was back in 2015. We heard that Dwayne Johnson was going to be starring in a remake of that movie, and now three years later, we hadn't really heard much about it in between, you know, now and 2015 and now. But uh, producer Hiram Garcia, I think that's how you pronounce his name. I apologize if that's wrong, uh, is one of the producers on the new movie. He's the, the, I guess, the leader of Dwayne Johnson's production company, and he, in a new interview with Collider, said. There's a lot of things going on with that movie. We're in the process of developing that. And let me tell you, the idea is, to, is not to actually remake Big Trouble in Little China. You can't remake a classic like that. So what we're planning to do is we're going to continue the story. We're going to continue the universe of Big Trouble in Little China. Everything that happened in the original exists and is standalone. And I think there's only one person that could ever play Jack Burton. So Dwayne would never try and play that character. So we're just having a lot of fun. We're in a great space with the story that we've cracked no remake. It's a continuation. And we're deep into development on that as well. So uh, and they also said, I think you'll start hearing some things about that probably soon. So this 
uh, right there along with Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle is sort of the next project where Dwayne Johnson is is t- continuing a story that began in a beloved movie. And it sounds like it's leaving the door open for Kurt Russell to theoretically come back to reprise his role as Jack Burton in maybe a cameo. I, I don't know if that's uh, really in the cards, but it sounds like they're definitely – hoping for that, you know, reading between the lines, it sounds like they would love for that to happen. So, yeah. um, I don't know, Chris, I know you're a big John Carpenter fan. What do you think about this idea? I assume you think it's, it's better that they're not remaking it, but, uh, what do you think about the idea of a sequel? Yeah. A remake would be a very bad idea, but if they do turn this into a sequel and they do get Kurt Russell to come back, I might be interested at the same time. You know, what made Big Trouble in Little China so great was, you know, I mean, a lot of stuff, but it was also John Carpenter and he's not going to be directing whatever this is. So it's kind of hard to get too excited about it. But I don't know if it is if it is a a sequel and if they do get Kurt Russell back, I I would definitely be a lot more optimistic about it than, you know, just a straight up remake. See, I'm a little cynical about this. Like, I feel like. You, you hear this talk all the time, like, you know, we're not doing a remake. It, it, you know, it, it takes place in the same universe. It's kind of a sequel. And then it ends up being like, you know, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, which uh, I think was the best possible uh, scenario for that movie. Like, it, it, it ended up uh, being a good movie, but it's not really a sequel. You, you know, there's a little bit of a nod to Robin Williams in the first movie, but aside from that, it could have been its own standalone movie. And I feel like a lot of people try to paint uh, these things as like sequels when they're really reboots um, set in the same universe. Uh, I don't know. I feel like we, we need, we need to come up with good terminology that everybody can agree on because uh, no one can seem to agree on reboot, sequel, remake, uh, you know, legacy equal. You know, <laughs> we, we have all these terminologies and I feel like, uh, you know, we're just playing semantics uh, at, at some point. Um, yeah. One more thing I wanted to say is um, for people who are wondering what a continuation might actually be about, uh, John Carpenter actually co-wrote a Big Trouble in Little China sequel comic book that debuted last year. And I have the synopsis of that in the article at Flash Film. So I'll send you to that, dear listeners who are who are interested in this. Uh, go check out the article and you can read the synopsis and maybe get an idea of what they could theoretically potentially use as a, a jumping off point for this movie. Uh, another news story that broke while we were away was that J.J. Uh, Abrams is going to reunite with uh, one of his lost stars in Star Wars Episode Nine. Uh, Chris, you wrote this up for the site. What do we know? Uh, yeah, so Dominic Monaghan, who was on Lost and, of course, was in the Lord of the Rings film, films, plural, uh, is joining Episode Nine as... We don't know. Uh, it's a it's a mystery, which means everyone will now theorize he's related to Ray in some way, because that's apparently the only thing people can think of when someone is cast in one of these movies. So Chris, feel free to Chris, Chris, that's ridiculous. He's like 40 years old. Uh, Daisy Ridley is what, like supposed to be like in her late 20s, early 30s. I don't think that's possible. He can be like her cousin, Ray's cousin, or something like that. So, yeah, feel free to speculate wildly about who Dominic Monaghan is playing. Um, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say his role is not going to be huge because, you know, this this casting is coming while they've already started shooting and they just announced this now. So I'm guessing it's going to be like a smallish part, maybe close to like Benicio Del Toro in The Last Jedi where he was in, you know, a very small fraction of the film. But we shall see. I, I would probably agree with that. Uh, you know, 
they did that big press release and if if he was in negotiations back then they would have included it back then this seems like it's probably a more minor role i could see him as kind of like uh you know a guy in like the resistance or uh i don't know i I can't imagine him as a bad guy uh ben you're a fan of lost could dominic monaghan be part of the first order I am really hope, uh, holding out hope that he's playing Constable Zuvio, Peter. I'm, I'm really hoping that we get a full-on <laughs> Zuvio renaissance here, and uh, that character finally gets the due that he's long deserved. Okay, uh, let's move on to our next story, and that is uh, that the Russo brothers have found uh, the film that they're going to direct after Avengers 4. Ben, you wrote this for, for the site. What do we know? Yeah, it's called Cherry, and uh, we know that Anthony and Joe Russo have Avengers 4 coming up uh, next summer, but after that, I believe they've said that they're done with Marvel, at least for the time being. There's always the chance that they could get lured back, you know, Michael Bay to Transformers style, where, uh, you know, they could just back up a dump truck of money and and bring them back eventually, but... uh, but yeah, we know that their next project is called Cherry, and it is based on a book by Nico Walker, and this, the novel tells a story that really closely lines up with the events that actually happened to the author. And the protagonist in this book is an army medic who comes back from the Iraq war with a really, really intense case of undiagnosed PTSD, and he starts robbing banks to sort of cope with that whole situation. So um, the book has been called Jesus's Son Meets Reservoir Dogs in terms of like the tone of of it and uh it's called a break or uh, described as a breakneck paced debut novel about love war bank robberies and heroin so this sounds like a total 180 from you know the the behemoth of a production that avengers 4 is and might signal the kinds of smaller movies that the the russos may want to make moving forward uh interestingly their new uh, production company slash studio it's called the agbo agbo um ended up beating out a bunch of companies like sony and endeavor content and warner brothers for the rights to this uh warner brothers actually had james franco slated to direct and uh, john polano the writer of uh, the jake gyllenhaal movie stronger set to write the script but uh the Russo brothers company bid a million dollars and ended up winning out in the end. So they, um, they're very passionate about this story. Uh, they grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, which is near where, uh, Nico Walker, the author grew up and deadline said that the Russo brothers have also lost friends to the opioid crisis and they wanted to shine a spotlight on that particular issue. So it sounds like this movie will give them the opportunity to do that. Very interesting. Okay, that does it for today's Slash Film Daily. Chris, where can we find more of your work online? Uh, I'm at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at CEvangelista413. Ben, where can I find you? You can find me at SlashFilm.com as well. I am on Twitter at Ben Pears. You can find me at SlashFilm on all social media. You can find all the stories we talked about today on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes this podcast, Slash Home Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, as well as SlashFilm.com. And uh, you can feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com. Please leave your name and general geographic location in uh, the email in case we mention your letter on the air like we did today in the mailbag. Uh, please go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.